0: This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Welcome to For the Shire, by the Shire. Each week, we speak to property and finance professionals working in and around the Sutherland Shire. Discover insider tips and tricks from the Shire's leading experts on how to get ahead in today's market. Introducing your host Nathan Smith, the director and senior mortgage broker at the award-winning Birdie Wealth.
1: Welcome back to the final episode for 2020, for the Shire, by the Shire. We uh going to cut to a little break over Christmas but before we do that I've got James Forrest who is the director of Forrest Small Homes here. He is a specialist in building residential cottages and has been doing it for 17 years now. So when we talk residential cottages we're talking uh, specialising in granny flats and second dwellings on properties. So if you're in a position where you have bought a property that has potential for subdivision or looking at properties where you want to subdivide uh, this is the man we need to be speaking to. James welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We uh, had you on a previous podcast talking about your journey into buying property. Uh, it's great to have you back. We've uh, we've got a long history together, and actually went to school together, and uh, disconnected for probably fifteen years, and ran into each other in the the, the business world, and yeah. here we are again.
2: That's yeah, good, mate. It's good.
1: So, uh, both running two businesses side by side, uh, watching each other's journey as, as we do our lending and conveyancing and you do your, your, your building and engineering side of things. Take me all the way back to uh, finishing up at school. Where did you go out of school?
2: Uh, straight from school, I went straight to just a job labouring. I had a gap here. I just had a gap here. Um, went straight from school to labouring for six months and just realised that I loved the outdoors and just had a ball and the characters that I met on the building sites. So I um, decided to pick up a carpentry apprenticeship and that was a really cool three years, you know, just running around between sites and meeting some really cool people and getting some of my skills up. Um, as a young guy, that was you know something that I really enjoyed coming out of school. So um, from there, I did my builder's licence uh, and finished that Finished that up and, and uh, went around Australia for a year. with my honeymoon. That was awesome in a van. That was cool. I came back and uh, just was hungry for more knowledge, so I did some more study in structural engineering. Um, and uh, picked up uh, picked up my father's company. So uh, my father, I bought ended up buying a structural our structural engineering company uh, and running that. And then from there we we branched. We realized that you know we've been looking at that industry our whole
1: life, so we decided that small
2: homes was our gig. So we wanted to specialise in that.
1: Now, it's a unique proposition you've got here because you have the building side and you have the engineering side sitting side by side. So this is something that very few builders have access to. What's the advantage of having that engineering firm in-house?
2: We can control the variable costs. So uh, a lot of the time it's just structural, um, structural things that are blowing out or cause uh, cost overruns so by having that in-house um, we were able to control those costs and then also able to, uh, to give people a, um, a guarantee like a builder's warranty as well as a structural warranty in the same package so they know that uh, any dramas with the house, they come straight back to us.
1: We've got so much to talk about today. We're going to talk about development in the subtle and Shire, which is such a <laughs> polarising topic, right? I think yes. uh, I think people are one way or the other on this, so I really want to get into that with you. But the, and the building game, probably similar to finance, can be quite an intimidating process for people to go through. There's just so much to learn, uh, even even sitting in finance when, when we've experienced it in the past, we've just found that process overwhelming yes. and not knowing where to go next. When somebody is starting out, where should they first be going to start to seek some information? Oh, that's a very good question. Such an opaque process. You know,
2: building is, you know, where do you start? How do you even get get off the ground? And uh, everyone's asking the same question. So people think that, you know, I just don't know, but everyone's asking the same question, where do I start? Um, So normally you you would start with a design or a designer. So if it was us, uh, you're starting with a phone call, And and we're exploring your needs and looking at your budget. So uh, you really should be trying to form a connection with someone that will advocate for you through the design process. So uh, that's really where you start in the design. Um, And being up front with your budget early uh, is such a help because it just means you're working back from that. Um, Most people are starting with a budget. It's a great place to start.
1: Perfect. And um, probably tying into that, I guess, is we need to be looking at finances simultaneously because there's no point going into a designer and, and building this mansion and then uh, you go and sit down with your broker and say, look, we've got to spend half of this. So 100%. Um, I think those two things definitely yep. align. So we're working through that design process. How do we how do we continue to move towards getting a build underway? You should be giving your vision to your designer.
2: So. It's really there's a there's a piece of the puzzle called the concept design, where you which is where you start. It's an abstract process where you're uh, explaining your needs and your vision, uh, and you should be feeling understood. You should be able to start there and not proceed until um, you're feeling heard, and that uh, the designer is following you in the concept phase, and then you're getting to a to getting to a concept. So really, that's the starting point. is concept design. looking at your block what you can and can't do we we have a a report called a possibilities report which is just your first step so you it actually just lays out a high level sort of this is what you can do on your block this is about how much you could expect to pay these are the steps one two three four five and six so um you know this is how much it'll cost you to get to council this is how much it'll cost you to get the fixed price this is how much the build will range from based on what you can do and that's for us, that's the best place. That just educates people early up, takes that sort of unknown out of it. So for us in our process, it's the possibilities report. Um, but yeah, you know, for other builders or for if if you're not uh, with a, if you're just with a normal builder, you're wanting to
1: spend the time in concept to get it right. In that concept stage, there's some questions that people probably should be asking, but perhaps they're not. And then they get to that final completion stage or they they've lived in the property for a couple of years and they say i wish i had done this i wish i had it what are some questions that they should be asking or, or, or a good design team should be asking you to try and map out this picture oh, that's such a good question nathan that's that's an awesome question like that is that is the the
2: place where it goes wrong if it goes wrong there uh, it's really hard to bring it back you know if like if you've got the wrong things in mind when you're informing the designer Um, or the designs running off because there's a million things you can do you can satisfy a million requirements so the question you've got to ask yourself is what's most important to us right now Um, and then uh, you define that and then for us the next question we ask is what's going to be most important in five years time we don't really think it's worth looking too much further than that but what is most important to us right now and then um, from those questions once you get your answer to those questions you can graduate to another set of questions that we've got which is um, picture an ideal afternoon so you're running scenarios in the home you know so you're running scenarios you know what does a Saturday look like for us you know here and so then you're able to double down on the things that are important and the stuff that perhaps isn't like everyone wants a new bathroom everyone wants a new laundry but perhaps these things are auxiliary to those main points so you get that question what's most important to us right now right That'll anchor you in.
1: Yeah. So, those real practical scenarios are a great way to flesh that out, right? What does Tuesday afternoon at the, the Smith household look like? And, and what are you doing in your house on the weekend? Where are you spending your time? And yes. where, where, do you, where does your family engage throughout the house and, and building your process of that? So, 100%. Like for you or me, like with kids, like we, we've we got, you got three, I've got four yeah. under what? How, how old's your elders? Seven,
2: yeah. Seven, yeah. I've got four under eight, you've got three under seven. seven. Yeah you know, what's most important to us right now is probably a functional home. Yes. You know, and a scenario in the afternoon is, yeah, let's get together and enjoy it as a family. So, yeah, and it's different to everybody. Mm. It's it's so critical that the house facilitates what's most important to you,
1: not the other way around. Let's talk about questions that people should be asking the builder. So Mm. there's great builders out there. There's poor builders out there, same Mm. in every industry. Mm. How do we work out which builder is best for us?
2: You, you have to you have to appreciate you are the vulnerable party in the deal because this it's a quite a technical field building um, and so we, we acknowledge that and we try to
0: um,
2: have questions have answers to questions if you, you if you're not getting answers in the early stages it's probably because they're not there um, and they're not going to magically arrive during the process so um, it's an intangible, but for, for me, it's trust. It's kind of that intuition piece. You've got to have trust. So really, I feel you should start with trust. You know, there has to be a good reputation. That builder should be well regarded. And if you ask people, people in Australia don't really bag on people. So, um, you know, if you ask for a referral, people will most of the time say, oh, they're okay, you know. What you should be wanting is someone to go, they are awesome. You know, you should, you, that should be their response. There shouldn't be hesitation. So if you want trust and you're looking for credibility, um, the people that have had an experience with that builder, get the builder to give you the number of the last three people he built for. If he's not willing to give you that.
1: that's then, a problem. Uh,
2: that's an issue. That's and they should. Problem. they should be raving fans. If they're not. Just go on to the next one. Perfect.
1: Perfect. So, you get that gut feeling early on uh, gut, throughout yeah. the process. Uh, okay. That they, they could snowball into a, a big headache later down the track. Yes, big time. Yeah. Someone's looking to buy a property and, and they, you know, the agent's selling it as a, a property with potential development. <laughs> How do we know? How do we know if that property really does have any potential development? It's a complex thing, um, but the possibilities reports are a really good place to start because it
2: just looks at you know there's a lot of factors to consider uh, and you shouldn't like I often encourage people not to predicate a purchase on what could happen um, so you, pre- you you would purchase on the fact that you like the home and the fact that it's got potential uh, it's just it's just hard unless you're a developer to predicate a purchase on um, the potential that you can div- subdivide it in the future um, I mean, that should, you should, after the purchase, be able to look into those things um, and, and go from there. So, to, to really know for sure, you've got to get to the other side of a council approval. Um, Which can't be done until
1: you've got the keys to the place.
2: Yeah, so you, yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a golden question what can I do on my block? Our possibilities reports explore all the zonings, and it's a you know, 10, 12 page document that looks at a lot of different factors, but even then, we can't completely define it because council's as good as a casino. You know, like you go into council and you roll on the dice, you know, so um but you know, there are tangibles and there are ways around it, but to to know for sure what you can do on your block, um it's starting with a town planner or someone like us. Perfect
1: subdividing duplexes seem to be popping up everywhere in the shire yeah, um, you, <laughs> yeah. you mentioned any kind of development in the shire and, and everyone has an opinion it's just so polarizing so mm. what's happening in the sutherland shire why is over development in the shire so scary at the moment it's getting done rapidly uh and it, and it did it, it exploded
2: there for a bit and you know i think it's i think it's really hard to get infrastructure and, and things to catch up so I mean, we're not really in the duplex field uh, and that multi, multi-development, we're building sort of more individual cottages, which are more sympathetic to that urban landscape and, and, the, and the way that it's working, the way the suburbs work and things like that. But um, it is scary because, you know, everything has to catch up, your roads, your parking and those sorts of things, I, you know, and I, like, I think it's inevitable and... The hard thing about the shire is it's somewhere everyone wants to live. That's right. So the more people that can, the more people can come here, the better. So I guess there's, yeah, it'll be, yeah, it'll be inevitable, but it has to be considered. Yeah. One mm. thing that's happening in that space is, um, on account of COVID nineteen, they've introduced another planning legislation that's going to make it easier for development. So it's, yeah, it could it could even, could even get more scary. Yeah. Okay.
1: And so that's it political piece as far as, you know, we want people spending and building and and Mm. moving money through the economy isn't necessarily the benefit of the the residents themselves, but uh, it just helps that overall economy. Mm. It's a really tough one, isn't it? Because it is such a desirable area. People want to live around here and there's just not enough homes to do it. There's not another, we don't have an empty farm out the back where we can split it up and carve another thousand plots of land into. Yeah. We have to go up and we have to cut in half in order to get more residents in but the the question is where do those kids go to school and what hospital do we go to and and how do we get in and out of the place which is um that seems to be that missing piece at the moment um but yeah certainly a hot topic at the moment
2: i mean just for us getting to and from the office you know should take 12 minutes and sometimes
1: take 25 you know because you just scratch your head but it it is progress i guess with building we have trends coming through Mm -hmm. Uh, you and i have spoken about this on occasion about the the trends moving through and and things that remain classic let's talk about trends to avoid that you're seeing in 2020 and beyond Mm. what are some trends you're seeing that you're going this is coming and going and it's going to date what what are some of the things you
2: see probably it's a big boxy facade. you know that those big imposing boxy facades are dating um and what's happening now is that there's the architecturally there's a there's a lot of return to uh, your more um, coastal hamptons, uh, even your cottage, your architectural cottage um, is 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 coming in, and, and to, to, in my opinion that's not going to date as much as your big square boxy facades. So. I mean, um, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with either of those things. Um, they both, I think they both have their place and, and look great, can look great, uh, can look bad. But um, the, I mean, the that bigger imposing sort of oxy facades are um, are trending less from from where we're standing, yeah.
1: What about internally inside the house? Is there any trends that you think are coming and going through?
2: Yeah, the, the, the hot thing was massive open plan you know, uh, like big sweeping open plan. And that's sort of winding back a little bit. People are now um, using space better, the architects using space better and compartmentalizing the home into, into purposeful areas that are designed for specific use. So um, still making the design flow, but not being so uber obsessed with um, massive open plan.
1: Yep. What about some classic trends that you think uh, stand the test of time? They were good in the '90s. They're good now, and, and you know, in twenty years' time, they're still going to be really good.
2: Oh, I love an island bench, yeah, because you know, the whole family can come up to the island bench. You know, it's it's always just a good feature. Yeah, a good island bench. It is malt. The kids can come and, you know, you you can do your homework there. You can do your, you can have your tea, um, and then I for, for me, spending time outside's a big one. Um, I think indoor outdoor flow has to be incorporated in the design so you can actually save yourself a lot of money by reducing the size of your home but making it flow into your outdoor areas really well so for us we yeah you know, our, our footprints are all very small but we make them bigger by integrating the outdoor space with the indoors. It's part of our conviction about getting outside and being in the environment and as Australians, it's something that we we think resonates with people. But um, yeah, so those two things are it. The island bench, classic, and uh, the indoor-outdoor flow. Get outside,
1: get, get get yourself outside and get the kids outside. I think that, that's something I was hearing about design and how it's changed, we were initially based off this English design with the terrible weather, and, and now we're getting yeah. more into that Mediterranean design with that indoor-outdoor flow, and, 100%. And because when, yeah. you, when you have guests over, that's where you go, isn't it? You go onto the deck, and you yeah. go into that alfresco area, and you sit around the barbecue, so it right. has to work. Oh, they're shy, and they're shy. Like, we we're in a wonderfully temperate
2: climate, you know, we don't have too harsh extremes that we have to hide away from, you know We're at, we're in that middle ground, the shire, we can utilize that outsour- outside It never really gets too cold, never really like it, you know, on occasion gets really hot But most of the time you can you can flow in and out without too much, um, too much trouble, yeah Let's Speak about your
1: industry um, mm-hmm. What is, uh, I'm gonna give you the control of your industry for the day, yeah, what's yeah. the first thing you're changing? Uh, honestly,
2: yep. First thing I'm changing, more women. Yeah. Um, it seems crazy. It sounds like a, and, I, and I'm not saying that because I have a diversity quota to meet or anything like that. But I just, in any industry where there is a lopsidedness to its diversity, be it in age, be it in gender, be it in race, um, be it in culture, uh, you will get uh, systemic issues that are a function of that disparity and um, for me in the construction industry the systemic issues that we have an issue with is because there's just too many blocks um, and it's for me it's obvious mm. uh, and those issues are systemic in our game um, you know, I could name them I won't but um, I think with if, if the construction industry we're, we're active um, in I, I just think the girls in our team have brought so much and given me a genuine market advantage, mm-hmm. so my competitors aren't looking there, and uh, that's good for me.
1: What are the numbers? What are the numbers on? Oh, I think men I, to women in. Oh, I think it's eight. eight to two, like yeah. it's, like
2: it's five to one. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, yeah, so that's. I've, I'll have to
1: check the stats, mm. but um, it's it's well out of kilter. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it was higher. Yeah, it's just sounds that way. Definitely being a builder. When you're heading to barbecues on Sunday, uh, similar to me, everyone wants to talk property. It's a you know it's an Australian passion. They just love property. and want to talk to you about it. And, um, everyone love, has an opinion on on building. So when you've got that uncle at the barbecue, what's that common uh, common myth and common thing that they're saying? You just want to squash now. The biggest
2: one for me that comes up is that your local builder's always going to be more expensive than your project home. Up um, for me, the cost doesn't come down to the builder. It comes down to the design and so if you're starting with a budget in mind there is no reason why your local builder who you trust cannot uh, give you a product that's the same that you would pay with a volume home builder for the you know for your money so I think you know your, your local builders are a great option he's got to maintain his reputation for you and um, I think your, it comes down to the design. Get your costs controlled in the design. Don't get your costs controlled with the builder.
1: And that's where they blow out when they sit down the design team and start to get carried away and, and off that cost goes. Hundred. And
2: you don't yeah, but if you're not checking in the design process, there should be pricing checks. Don't wait till you get to the other side of council to then go out to builders and work out that it's four hundred grand over your budget. Happens all the time. I reckon one in one in five scenarios happens that way so you have to have a builder either shadowing the process or someone like us who does it all um, that is constantly updating you on costs through the design process and like the design process is might be five percent of what you're going to spend but you're committing ninety percent of what you're going to spend so my, my advice is to spend the time you got to spend there you know just just dig in and make sure your designers understanding you Yep.
1: I want to talk about what's next for forest small homes um you know as far as an industry we're seeing more and more people subdividing putting Mm, second dwellings on mm, the property mm, mm. multi-generational living tends to be happening a lot more so what's next for you guys uh we we
2: believe in you know families living close to their support network so we we want to uh, encourage the building of secondary dwellings for people so small footprint secondary dwellings is where we want to go so secondary dwelling is just that you've got a house on the back of your in your backyard you put another house in your backyard uh, we've got some designs that we we, we are de- developing and have developed that we want to build more of they're economical but they're um, really really well considered well thought out and easy to um customize to use. so um, that's for us. The next step is just getting more secondary dwellings for people where they can live still still live closer, support network, close to their home, um, without sort of killing the budget. The numbers work with granny flats and subdivisions. That's why we, we sort of selected to go there because um, it's viable. You know, it's and in, in done right and, and considered. You know, every unique factors considered of each block. It can be can be a great thing for. Uh, it can be a win-win. So for the kids and the parents, particularly the parents, uh, for their retirement, for the kids getting a start, you know, being able to climb that first impossible step, you know. So it's uh, we 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 think there's potential through the whole model. We just want to do more of it and be helping more people like that. So yeah,
1: James mate, it's been some really good insights into a complex topic and. Complex. Um, Mate, it could be hours more we could chat about this, but I really appreciate your insights and really cool tips um, from initial design to setting your home up, what's working, what's not working what people should be looking out for, mate. So I really appreciate your time today. Where can people find you? Uh,
2: just uh, for Uh We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. i uh, have got a couple of just little explainer videos on the website there just to help you get to know us and um, feel free to book a call in and
1: we'd love to chat. Perfect. thanks mate no trouble thanks for having me a big thanks to all our guests in 2020 for jumping on the show they've given up their time to come in and uh, give an insight into their specific industries and the, the tips that I've learned over this past year have just been awesome um, I just want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and safe Christmas we will be having a pause over December and we'll be back again in January to kick off with uh, brand new episodes so stay tuned and we'll be back in January chat then
0: podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision making, nor to be taken as a substitute for specific advice. Please contact Birdie Wealth to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. For more information, go to www.birdiewealth.com.au.